0: taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond 7th Wave Network
1: good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews over the next hour You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Welcome to Authentic Living. Have you ever asked the question, why is this happening to me? How did I end up in this family? What is the point? Why are my relationships so difficult? If you have and most of us have, then our guest today, Robin Norwood, may be able to help you come to some answers that work for you. Robin Norwood's book, Women Who Love Too Much, forever changed the way we think about love as 30 million readers around the world were helped to view their relationships from the perspective of addiction and to find a path to recovery. That book was addressed to women only, but Why Me, Why This, Why Now addresses both men and women to ask and answer very pertinent questions about suffering. Or given the enormity of our personal and collective pain, what does an individual life mean, and what are we supposed to be doing? These are esoteric questions that require esoteric answers, and Robin is willing to go there. So if you're willing to go there, then listen up, my dear listeners, for today, you may just get some answers. Robin, welcome to Authentic Living, and thank you so much for your willingness to discuss this difficult topic with us today.
3: Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it.
2: Okay, well, let's just sort of jump right in there. Uh, in your book, Why Me?, you say every problem is an assignment designed by your soul. This is such a beautiful but difficult statement, and I think it's a good beginning point for our discussion today. What do you mean by an assignment designed by your soul?
3: Well, um, I mean that life isn't random, and the problems that we face are the ones that we need to face in order to take the next step in our spiritual development. That's, okay. that's it in a nutshell.
2: Okay. That's good. That's a good uh, start for our discussion today. So basically what we're saying is that when we suffer, there is something that's going on.
3: Oh, yeah. There, there is a purpose to all of it. Um, and, and there are, you know, if we, I'm, we're we going to have to use some sort of esoteric terms, I mean okay. very common ones, but ones that not everybody agrees with. But the concept of karma, that we have a destiny that we're working out one of the things that we all need to realize is there are greater karmas than the personal karma. There, There is a family karma operating, and there's a societal or a national karma, and even a planetary karma, and they're all unfolding. And in some events, we, in our little individual lives, of course, get swept up into these larger karmas, like a national karma, for instance. And when that happens, and there's... Suffering because of that, in terms of say wars and you know big, great big catastrophes and so on that aren't really our specific path but involve us. It's almost as though we get spiritual green stamps. Do people even know what green stamps are anymore? I mean, we had <laughs> them when I was a kid. You bought gasoline, you got green stamps. You pasted them in a book, and you got an ironing board. You know, right. um, but we get credit. We do get credit, but. For the most part, as our lives unfold, we're facing our individual path, and, and we go at it, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, we go at it without understanding what's happening to us, and that's what keeps us in the game. That's what keeps us trying. We don't know ahead of time how everything's going to turn out. So we just struggle, and, and we try to do our best, and sometimes we really get rebellious or angry or depressed or whatever, but we keep on going because we're human, and that's what human beings do. And those struggles work on us. They refine us, and they educate us, and they often make us able to not only rise above it ourselves but to help others who are in the throes of it as we're a little farther along the path. Right.
2: So, okay, basically what you you're talking about here is a some form of evolution or development through many lifetimes and we, you know, we hear a lot of people talking today about reincarnation as sort of a structure for reward and punishment, particularly where karma comes in. But that concept of karma is a little bit limited, I think, when we think of the potential for soul development from lifetime to lifetime. Can you explain what you mean in your book when you say soul development?
3: Well, It's really more our development so that we become more in harmony with our soul, more in touch with our soul and more in harmony with our soul. It's not so much that we're developing the soul as we're increasing our ability to hold light and to hold truth. And, you know, when you look at old, religious paintings, of course, there's always the halo, right, over the religious figures and so on. And that halo represents, I think as probably every every listener knows by now, the aura, the light in that particular evolved being. And it kind of gets shown as that little yellow circle in a lot of them. But it is greater light that's being emanated from a life, a being inside a physical body, that's able to express more of that and it comes through experience it comes through experience it comes through surrender to that experience and to the lessons it's trying to teach us and willingness to serve and not all of us are willing when you know things are going well for us we kind of it's sort of like get out of my way i'm having a good time you know i'll talk to you later and the soul just waits the soul just waits for us and Often when we have a lot of will or even self-will going, when that's very, very well developed, that's the time when the soul recognizes that it's time to begin to call us home. We have to have a personal will, a strong personal will, before we have anything to offer. And then we have to learn to surrender that will to a higher will. If we're, if we're more interested in living a life where we follow someone else and we're a devotee and we, we follow orders and, you know, we're very, very, very submissive, often that's, that's just a step on the path, and it's a worthy one. But that turning point comes when we have great personal power, and often that's when people get knocked to their knees. Okay. So Does that make sense?
2: Sure. So yeah. we have to sort of be ready to uh, to open up to our soul awareness?
3: Well, usually we're not ready. We're busy. <laughs> we're very busy. We have lots of irons in the fire and, you know, life is going on. And then either through one very serious blow or a series of, of blows, we begin to drop to our knees both metaphorically and literally physically. Right. And, and when we say, God help me, and we mean it right down to our toes, it's as though we've, Pulled almost like ringing a doorbell or pulling a bell pull, it reaches the soul and the soul responds. Mm -hmm. I've been around the anonymous programs for most of my life. My whole career was in addiction. And I'm not a sober alcoholic, but I've attended many, 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 I mean, hundreds and hundreds of open AA meetings. Anybody can go to an open AA meeting. They're closed meetings that are just for people with a, what do they say, an honest desire to to, um, get sober, stop drinking. But open AA meetings are open to anyone, and I've heard so many people talk about hitting bottom, reaching that point where they weren't trying to make a deal anymore. They just said, "Help me, just help me," and things changed. They began to change in the most powerful and profound way. It's it's very easy to see it with addiction because addiction has such a clear cutoff. You know, you either are drinking and using, or you're not drinking and using drugs. One or the other, you're either clean and sober or you're not, so there's a cut off line, and you can count the days once that change has happened, and of course, lots and lots of other things change in its wake, but you, you can you can see the point at which sobriety begins
2: right so so rather than you saying that we're re- we have to be ready consciously, really, what you're saying is when we look back on a struggle, we can see that we had the strength to handle it.
3: mm. No that's, not, Andrea, no, that's not what I'm saying. Not what you're saying. Okay. Well, it's Tell not me off because here. I don't really think we do have the 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 strength to handle the big ones in life. I don't think we can do it alone. And I think that's the lesson to our self-will. Yeah. When we're facing something that's so big and so overwhelming, so devastating, so crippling, so whatever, we have to invoke a power greater than our personality mm-hmm. to get through it. And that's why you know partly because of my my experience in that field i i keep referring to examples in the area of addiction because if if you understand addiction you understand that no one can overcome addiction through the personality they can't do it if they could there wouldn't be anybody struggling with addiction on the planet right everybody just say i'm not going to do that anymore and that would be that Mm -hmm. but there are different kinds of addictions that different people struggle with and if it's truly addiction they can't handle it on their own they have to submit their will to a higher power and that's true of all of us when it gets tough enough Okay,
2: so when you were referring to a well-developed self-will, you were talking about the ego will, not really the uh, spiritual will. No,
3: no, the ego, the personality, a very strong personality. You know how I see it. I see this so clearly. I just see it in, in my mind. That old poster where Uncle Sam is pointing and it says, Uncle Sam wants you. Everybody's seen that poster. That's the way I envision it. In terms of the soul, when it's saying, okay, now I want you. You're ready now. I want you. And pretty soon the things start happening that quickly or slowly humble us enough so that we become willing to surrender our will to something greater. We have to experience that strength of will first, though. We have to exercise those muscles and get good at it. And it's like so many things. You know, it's a step on, on, on the path. You can't skip it. But once that, that ego is very strong, the next step is to begin to surrender it so that we become a youth tool for the soul on behalf of humanity. Okay,
2: okay. I get that now, so I'm hoping our listeners do too. So, okay, if we're developing over lifetimes, then what is karmic debt and how can we work with it to develop the soul?
3: Well, how can we not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you can't avoid karmic debt whether you know you're doing it or not. But I, karmic debt, is, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think so often when people hear the term karma, they start thinking of some kind of punishment for past wrong. Right. Some sort of evening up the score. And um, <laughs> I don't think... I don't think it works that way. I don't think it works that way at all. Karma is about balance. And it's about experiencing whatever there is to experience and ultimately understanding it from a higher perspective. Retribution, you know, the stuff that most movies are made of where somebody's going to get even with somebody and, you know, there they go in their car with their weapons or whatever, that is not, that is not a... a Karmic principle.
2: Okay. All right. Well, we're going to come back in just a few minutes to talk more about that. What what karma is? We now know what it isn't. But we're going to talk a little bit more about what it is. And we'll be back in just a moment with Authentic Living and Robin Norwood.
0: Awakened Media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology, the number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
1: When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest. Driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may contain vaccines for HIV cancer and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor and sweatshops.
0: Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council listening on a higher dimension 7th Wave Network
1: you're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews we want to hear from you if you have a question or comment about today's show call in now, toll free 1-866-472-5795 that's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthewsLPC.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: Welcome back. This is Authentic Living, and today we're so lucky to get to talk to Robin Norwood about why me, why this, why now. And we were talking just before the break about karmic debt, and uh, I think what you said was that it was not um, some kind of retribution for us with regard to what we'd done in a previous life, or maybe even not even reward, but rather some evolutionary process.
3: Well, yes, yes. Always toward balance. And, you know, before experience, we can have a kind of a balance. We can be in a sort of a neutral position, and then if we have a very challenging or difficult or painful experience, that can knock us out of balance, and in order to restore that balance, we need to look at that experience with understanding, with understanding, and you know, even the word understanding, it means to go underneath and to hold up, mm-hmm. and, and that's what's required of us, to get to the root of things and understand it. We don't have to necessarily do it intellectually. But there is again a surrender required. Um, let me see what else I can say about that. I know so often, you know, people think, "Why are we being punished this way? Why is why is uh, life or God being so cruel?" I'm trying to be a good person, and there's also a bit of a belief I think that if we are a good person, our life should be easy. It should be somewhat easy, maybe not complete cakewalk, but not so difficult. The difficulty should happen to people who are doing bad things and don't care and have no conscience. But as we move along the path of, of expansion into light, the way actually gets more difficult. The,
1: mm-hmm. the
3: most interesting and wonderful people I know have all had very difficult lives. And again, because my background is so much in the field of addiction, I know lots of people who grew up in pretty horrific um, family situations where addiction was present in one parent or both parents or everybody uh-huh. in the family. Very chaotic, very challenging backgrounds. And it doesn't happen this way with everybody, obviously, but some of those people emerge just as amazing human beings, amazing, amazing human beings with tremendous compassion, because of that, because of that experience.
2: Well, I think we've been cut off.
3: Uh-oh. Have we? I can hear you. Oh,
2: okay. Okay, good. Because of that experience, you were saying? Right, right.
3: That You know, when I was taking my training in psychology, we were taught that it was... Um the the reason that people ended up being uh, sociopathic or whatever was because of a bad childhood. But that's, that's not what I've seen in my life, not at all. Mm-hmm. I've seen that those people who have experienced that kind of very, very challenging childhood and background in the family often come out, I mean, almost saint-like. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about that. The question How did we get into that family of origin that we were born into? How did that happen? How did we get into the family we got into?
3: All right, this, <laughs> to talk about it with me, requires that we go to a, a kind of an interesting place, and that is the place where we leave the body, we review the life, and we choose what we want to work on in our next lifetime. Just as though we were going to college. And we chose our major and the classes we were going to sign up for in order to achieve that major, in order to complete that education and go on with those tools into life. So if we're going to have the experiences we need, we choose the family in which those can happen. That means that we, when, when someone is growing up in this chaotic kind of situation, it was a sole choice. That's... That's where that choice came from. It's not a personality choice, and the personality doesn't remember making that choice and may feel very, very put upon and um, that life is extremely unfair, but it is still a choice that gives the opportunity to develop in certain ways. I read Alice Bailey, and she was the amanuensis for the Tibetan, and he says that, most karmic thing that we get in any lifetime is our body, which of course is the product of our genetic inheritance from our parents. And the most karmic part of the physical body is the nervous system. And that nervous system, it's through that nervous system that we view the world, that we view everything. It all comes in filtered through, if you will, I mean, this is kind of symbolic way of saying it, but it's as though we have a certain special pair of glasses and everything around us is interpreted by that nervous system, those glasses, as it comes into us. Does that make
2: sense? Sure, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So we interpret based upon what we see through those glasses.
3: That's right. And that's determined by that nervous system. That's determined by our reactions to what goes on around us. And those are karmic. That means that we're going to make certain choices and notice and pay attention to certain things and other things are completely off, off the screen. We're, we're not seeing them. We're not even noticing. Right. But we, we're pre-programmed to follow in a certain direction as our life leads us. Okay. And, And, you know, most of us who have been around long enough who have any kind of self-awareness can look back and say, oh, my God, yes, I have patterns. I've done this over and over and over again. And finally, maybe I'm not doing it now, but it's only because I finally learned by the time I got in my 50s not to do that again. We we see that we've been following a track. Right. And hopefully that it's been teaching us some things. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Right, so that fits into where we're going here. I, I want to ask about the term old soul. I hear it bandied about quite a bit now, even in the media. Can you define uh, what you think is the young soul and the old soul and tell us the difference between them?
3: Yes. Um, I can give it my best shot. <laughs> a young soul is one who is learning to command the physical body. That's If you think of it in... Purely human development—that's the first task of the infant when they come in. Their arms are flailing around, and their eyes can't focus, and so on. And and gradually they begin to get command of the physical body, and that is a task of a young soul for a whole series of lifetimes. Okay. That getting that physical body under control, and um, these are these are usually people who can be very strong physically sometimes, and are are soldiers in that they, they take orders well and they, they like following direction and they like um, challenges to the physical body and so on and as we move on through development we begin to be more um, we begin to emphasize more or have emphasized for us more the tasks of the mind of the intellect because that is the natural progression of human development is to become more and more aware and conscious, and begin operating from intuition. Um, not, not instinct, but intuition. That's really the, the path we're going from. We're going from instinct to intuition. And intuition means a connection with something very much higher than our, our, our mental capacity as a human being. It means open to being open to a higher consciousness. So an old soul has been through lots and lots, and is now beginning to learn how to live life more objectively and with more detachment. Not to take everything so personally, but to see the wider picture, to empathize with a group beyond just the family or the little tiny um, core group of people who are acquaintances. And we see this going on in the world right now to an incredible extent. I mean, I have seen. So many changes in my lifetime. I'm 63 now, and I've watched us go from, we'll just take the the women's movement, for instance, um, because it's it's not too inflammatory (laughs) now, but I remember when we were getting fired from jobs if we wore pants Mm -hmm. to work. Mm -hmm. It's not like that anymore. In fact, when I say that to the younger generation, they just look at me like, you've got to be kidding. They take for granted some of those things we had to battle for, and that's the way it is in all evolution. And it's meant to be. Those things are in the past. You go forward, but now we all—all all throughout the world—we human beings are beginning to really care about others. We'll never see. We'll never know. We're caring deeply about the animal kingdom, and having a real sense of um, that. That that we need to be caretakers of all the life on the planet, those are fairly new concepts for most human beings. Absolutely. But they're very common now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not an unusual thing. I mean, you don't have people rolling their eyes if you say something like that. Now, they all nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know, we know. It's a very small world now. And that's part of us moving into the Aquarian age. Aquarian um, thinking has to do with group, consciousness that we need to always be aware of the welfare of all, not just our own. But we had to get there through developing the personal will. Now it's the will for the good of the group, and it's emerging.
2: Right, it sure is. Mm-hmm. It sure is. And and part of that has been, as you talked a little while ago about addiction, part of that I, a process and evolution, I think, has been sort of this um, whole process of what can happen to the mind when when we take in drugs and what can happen when we become addicted and what does that mean and surrendering to higher power. So tell us how, and we may need to take a break in a minute so we may have to start and stop, but if you can tell us how you see addiction as as a a primary path to transformation.
3: Oh, (laughs) well, because as I said earlier, it's a powerful tool for bringing you to your knees. Your life becomes utterly, utterly unmanageable. And you end up going places and doing things that you never, ever thought you'd be capable of.
2: Okay. And that unmanageability is what creates that
3: surrender, sort of that it's let's talk about it after the break because I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit more about that.
2: All right. We're going to do that. This is Andrea Matthews Authentic Living. We're going to be back in just a moment.
3: media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
2: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more.
3: You just have to impress
2: her.
1: Okay, but how? Just... No, 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 pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh. Uh, 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 uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
0: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
1: What can you tell me about Skills USA? Skills USA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome.
2: Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning
3: how to communicate with people.
1: At work. On the web at skillsusa.org You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back with Robin Norwood today. This is Authentic Living brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Robin, we were talking just before the break about addiction as a path to transformation and we had to stop to take the break. So you were talking about utter unmanageability and how that brings people to their knees.
3: Can you say right, about right. that? Right, right. And then um, that's that bell pull to the soul and things begin to change. And what I understand about addiction is that the very, very, very best and most likely way to achieve sobriety is through the anonymous programs, through AA and Cocaine Anonymous and so on, whatever the one is that that is the appropriate one or a combination of the above. So there's that surrender, that beginning to work on sobriety and all the help that the other people in the program offer. However, addiction doesn't go away. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about that once something is pickled, like a cucumber is pickled, it doesn't turn back into a cucumber. It's always... A, cube, a pickle from then on it, and they also say we do not grow, we're like men who have lost their legs, we do not grow new ones.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So this is a lifetime condition. this is very this is a point um, that a lot of metaphysicians have a hard time with. They don't like that idea. They think that mind over matter you can overcome this whole thing of addiction, but that's not the situation, and I kind of want to suggest that maybe there's greater wisdom. Somewhere than even in the most evolved metaphysicians here because addiction requires a daily surrender to a higher power, a daily surrender every single day, a turning of one's will and one's life over to a higher power. And let me tell you, that is a fast track for spiritual development.
2: Absolutely. There's
3: nothing like it. I mean, it just keeps you right there in touch with something greater than your ego all the time in order for you to survive. And often, because we are human and we are self-willed and all that, it takes that kind of pressure for us to be able to surrender that will on a continuing basis. So even if the beginning of sobriety is in almost like a blinding flash of light, and it is sometimes for people, um, it was for one of the founders of AA, the maintenance, the maintaining of sobriety is a daily commitment to that surrender
2: right which makes it all the more powerful as as a transformative tool
3: absolutely absolutely and you know there's there's no letting up it's one of the mysterious things about addiction that if someone is sober for say 20 years and goes back to drinking their body very quickly is in the same shape that they would be would have been if they had drunk for 20 years they don't get any time off for good behavior right it's an amazing process
2: Right, right, it sure is, and the body just uh, can speak to us at that point, can it? Well, let's talk about how that affects families then. Okay, so if if, if uh, addiction is a major path to transformation, does it work that same way in families of addicts and alcoholics?
3: Well, it can, just like it can for the addict or alcoholic who surrenders and gets into a program of recovery. And um, and also, it can just get worse. Right. There I got to the point where I could diagnose alcoholism if the wife was sitting in a restaurant with a friend. Hmm. Now, I could I could watch her behavior and think, uh-huh, her husband's an alcoholic. It's it becomes very obvious from the kinds of of desperate uh attempts to control everything that that become part of the the behavior of people living with this out of control disease. So again, uh the <laughs> answer in my opinion is Al-Anon which is the the 12-step program for the families and friends of alcoholics and that too requires a, a whole learning of how to surrender and people who live with alcoholism just are practicing trying to control with every breath because it's a desperate struggle they're trying to save themselves and they're really trying to save the alcoholic and thinking that if they do it right they'll be able to but this is a thing they don't have power over. Exactly, exactly.
2: So that very sense of powerlessness paradoxically is uh, how we become spiritually or soulfully empowered.
3: It's the first step. Yep. It's the very first step to understand that we don't have the power to change another human being and we really at that point don't have the power to change our own life unless unless we do some surrendering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so now we've got some definitions, we've got some understanding of what we're doing here. So suppose it's not addiction. How can a person use their suffering as a stepping-off stepping point in the evolutionary or transformative process of individual consciousness? First
3: of all, you have to want to. And often when things get a little better, we just get back to life and we, you know, thank God that's over and let's get on with it. Um, and that's the way it should be. That's the way human beings are. And life is for living. It all makes sense more of a a commitment to growth that requires us to keep looking for meaning and it's not present in everybody not everyone has a, a desperate need to understand what's going on in their life or the need to understand lessons when things when the pressure gets less but if there is that searching then you just keep asking the questions and you know when i had clients when i was a therapist they would always want to know what they could do to to make transformation happen in their lives. And I would say, just pray to be willing. Pray to be willing to accept what you need to learn next. Because often the things that we need to learn are not the ones we want to learn. We're really willing to go off to India and study at someone's feet and do lots of meditation and things. But to put aside our... Impatience over the breakfast table is a whole other thing and a lot harder. Right. A lot harder. That's the crucible. The family is the crucible. The family is where we learn to sacrifice our desires for another's good. And sometimes that's a wonderful thing, and sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes we can really overdo it. Um, it's it's where we get the rough edges of our personality abraded away by the friction of living in a group.
2: Right. So family is part of the karmic uh, evolutionary process.
3: Absolutely. When I used to teach a lot, I almost always had someone raise her hand and say, I really want to meditate and I really want to start living a more spiritual life, but I don't have time because I have three little kids and my husband, da-da-da, and I have this job. And, And I would always say, you know, that is spiritual development, handling all that, walking through that. Just just living life in that kind of milieu is far more spiritually demanding than sitting in a cave somewhere meditating all day.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I, I like the old concept of sort of the walking meditation where you just, while you're living your life, you're staying in tune with yourself, your soul, your higher power, whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. That you're really connecting as you go.
3: And you remember to put that hand back in the hand of whatever there is that's greater. Just, okay, oops, I need a little help here. Hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reaching mm-hmm. out, you know, or just giving somebody else to that. That's something I would love to talk about. Very often we think that we have the right to pray for certain kinds of change in another human being. And that's actually a very profound violation of spiritual principle. We do not have that right. We don't have the right, for instance, to pray that someone gets sober. It's not our right. What we do have the right, and maybe even in a way almost a spiritual obligation to do, is to pray for that person's highest good, period. Period. Because we don't know what their highest good is. It's so easy for me to talk about addiction, so I'm just going to keep doing that. If someone needs to go to jail... That may be for their highest good. That may be part of the unfolding path that brings them to sobriety. We're not going to pray that someone goes to jail. Not usually, unless we're awfully mad at them, you know. But we can't know what's next on that person's development. But we, we are always right if we pray for someone's highest good. And one of the greatest tools I've ever learned to handle things where I have a resentment against someone is to pray for that person's highest good. It works miracles. It's hard to do when you think that their highest good is going to be like wishing that they win the lottery and somehow it's going to take away from you. But their highest good is always everyone's highest good. You have to take it way up. When you get to the point where it's their highest good, it's the highest good for the whole planet. You can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that goes what
2: you said a little while ago about not having the right to pray for somebody else to change something about their lives. It goes along with what you say in the book. You said um, that when we want to help people, we have to accept that people unconsciously know the reason for their condition and will resist losing it until it has served its transformative purpose.
3: And that's very unconscious, but it's very real. And it's it's another you know spiritual law that we can't surrender somebody else. Right. We can't do it. We can only surrender our own will. And boy, if you've ever tried it, it's not easy. I mean, most people who try to live that kind of life, have to do it again and again and again in a given day. It's not something that stays surrendered because the ego is very strong Mm -hmm. and it just rears back up and wants to take over again. But when we experience how much of a stretch it is for us to surrender our personal will, how can we possibly think we're going to step over and surrender somebody else's? Right,
2: right. So that whole idea of helping people one of the things I want to talk about, you know, after the this break coming up is this whole idea that that somehow we feel responsible or even guilty about helping or not helping other person. So we'll talk about that after the break. This is Andrea Matthews, this is Authentic Living. We'll be back in just a moment. Mm-hmm.
3: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
0: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT, was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world
3: around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense.
0: How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Uh-huh.
3: Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead.
0: Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at
3: PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network.
2: And we're back with the last segment of our show, talking to Robin Norwood about her book, Why Me, Why This, Why Now? This book is still in print in foreign countries all over the world, and um, you can get it at your local library. I would encourage you to really read this book. It's an excellent read. So um, we were talking before the break, Robin, about this whole idea of helping people. Um, accepting that unconsciously they know the reason for their condition and they're going to resist losing that condition until it's served its transformative purpose. The whole idea of what, is, what are our rights with regard to helping other people. I want to talk a little bit more about that because that tends to be a real confusing subject. We grow up learning that we are we're somehow responsible for other people and that we're supposed to be serving them in some kind of way and that we're good people to the degree that we serve others. So it can get a little confusing,
3: this whole thing about helping people. It can you certainly can. Uh, and we have all kinds of pressures on us to keep trying, try this, try that. But the fact is we really can't control anybody over about the age of two. Most of the time when, when another human being cooperates with us, it's because they choose to. And the degree of control we have over someone else is, is minimal to nothing, you know, to zero. And often when we want to help, and, and this just requires some honesty here, when we want to help, what we really want to have happen is we want someone else to change so that we can be more comfortable because we're suffering. We're suffering because they're suffering or because they're in trouble or they're embarrassing us or whatever. So some of our helping, maybe even most of our helping, is really disguised control. And we don't have any right to do that. Not only that, but it's, it's pretty ineffectual. It doesn't work. It makes for resentment. What our task is, is to learn to be okay, even though someone else is suffering, and to love them, whether they change or not. And that requires detachment. When we were talking about the Aquarian Age and how it is about group consciousness, Part of that group consciousness is also this great lesson of detachment. Our, our lesson throughout the Piscean Age was compassion. And the Tibetan says we have learned it well. Now, not everyone on this planet has learned compassion, but great numbers of us have learned to care about others, even those, those we don't know. He says at the end of the age it will even be overdone. And that's when we start trying to help others and do for others what they're not doing for themselves. So if there's a rule of thumb about helping, it's that you don't do for another person what that person could do for himself if he chose. Right, right.
2: You know, one of the things that I see as a therapist, one of the um, great supervision tools I got many years ago to uh, sort of monitor myself in that area was if I feel like I'm really tired at the end of a therapy session, I've done all the work. <laughs> yes. And I have shared that with clients, and they go, oh, my God, yes, I'm so tired all the time.
3: Yeah. So yeah. it
2: is It is one of those tools we can sort of listen to our body, and it will tell us.
3: Mm-hmm. Trying to change what we can't. Right. And often we need a lot of help to do that detaching with love. We can detach in anger, and we can detach in sort of some kind of retaliation, and then we come back and try to save again. So both those those behaviors are less than optimal, trying to save and pulling away out of anger. Detachment is an extremely high spiritual principle. It means loving somebody. It means giving them the dignity and the respect that they can live their own life, even if it isn't what we would choose for them. Right. Right, absolutely. And it means allowing them to struggle and handling our own pain with that.
2: Right, and that, that is, I think, a piece of why we try to get other people to change. It's a bargaining, you know, those stages of grief. Bargaining is one of those stages, and so we're bargaining. We're saying, well, if I do this, then they'll change, and if I do that, then they'll change, and there's an if and a then, and so there's the bargain that says, we're, I, you know, my, my job is to get them to change, and therefore I'm, proving to myself that I'm a good pe- people, person, so I'm attaching my identity and my sense of myself to ha- their outcomes.
3: Well, and also because that that concept that we really don't have the control that we think we do is is devastating. We don't want to face that, mm-hmm. that this isn't something we can do anything about. Right,
2: right. So we'd rather bargain with it.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. So
2: you talk about discovering the gift of your wound. We have just a few more minutes. Can you say some more about that to our listeners?
3: Well, I think one of the the greatest gifts when we have struggled with something difficult, whether it's addiction or whether it's the loss of a child or, you know, whatever it is, whatever pain life has dealt us, if if we can take our experience and help another who's facing it now, currently, that is one of the greatest gifts. That that draws on our highest humanity. And it's one of the reasons we're here, because we are all part of one body of humanity. It's as though we're cells in one body. And each cell's health depends on the health of the rest of the cells. We're really here to help one another, but not in that way that we were talking about. The way of support. You know, often... The help that we need doesn't come from the people closest to
0: us. It can't
3: because they aren't detached. They aren't Mm -hmm. objective. They need us to do certain things. Friends can't help often as much as strangers can or people we only know through, say, like the program or some other way that is less personal and more objective. Right, right.
2: So that's one of the gifts. Are there others?
3: Well there's certainly the gift of understanding what life is all about Mm -hmm. at a deeper level and beginning to appreciate the whole picture, the whole rightness of it. Anything we resist against, we're resisting against the lesson in it. Anything. And it doesn't mean because we stop resisting we're going to get it right away, but it will come. If we're willing to get that answer, it will come. And to have that view of life and of the world that things really are unfolding in a very very positive and wonderful way and that we are evolving makes such a difference in how we live our daily life it's it's hard if we believe that everything's going to pieces and sometimes you can feel that way if you're watching the news all the time or whatever but it isn't reality if we can step back far enough we can see the progress we can see the change in consciousness we can see the inclusion in the greater whole that's going on in all our minds. We're including a greater whole as part of who we are. And that's a huge gift.
2: Yeah. So it's sort of like what you're saying is that we can see what's going on under what seems to be going on.
3: That's right. That's right. It's almost as though we go way, way up high and we look down and we say, oh, now I see the pattern. Mm-hmm. Now I see, oh, that has to be that way. And that that's going to lead to that. And yes. And it takes some time to do that, and it takes real willingness. Right, right.
2: And so the, in the process of your own evolution, these things have evolved and, in your own personal life, and, and so that's part of why you're sharing it with us. Is that correct?
3: You know, all the things that, <laughs> that I thought were the, the sort of curses in my life have become the greatest gifts. They're the things that I can use to understand and sometimes to genuinely help mostly through understanding i think that's a great source of help is simply to know what it
0: feels like
3: that's so healing they you know i i heard someone i respect say that when we're lonely we're not lonely for other people we're lonely for our own
0: kind
3: and sometimes that means a person who has experienced what we have and and knows how it feels so those are all the gifts they're all the gifts they're all the the gifts of humanity and i I think I'd just like to say real quickly that the way it's extending to the animal kingdom, too, is a great source of joy to me because I see people beginning to understand this this whole other kind of life in such a beautiful way that we really haven't been able to until now.
2: Oh, wow. Well, it's too. a luxury, right. you
3: know, to be able to see animals as other than our tools. We're, we have a lot of luxury in our lives now. It's That's right. Absolutely. Because, yeah, to stay alive. We we have some time and some space.
2: So right. And we've reached the end of our show today, but this is uh, we have so enjoyed talking to you, Robin, and thank you so much for being on our show. And I just want to tell our listeners that you need to get ready for next week's show because it's going to talk to you about how to find a soulmate with Ariel Ford. This is Andrea Matthews, and this is Authentic Living. Just remember, should you choose to accept it, your job is to give birth to yourself.